Hello and welcome to SMPD, the podcast where we look back at the cartoons that shaped our childhoods. This episode, we're looking at Rugrats. Yeah, now Rugrats for me is a good one. Um, it came about in this country, it came about 93, 94, so it was a bit behind when it came out in the, in the States. Yeah. Um, it was on Saturday mornings on um, Live and Kicking, which is the, the Andy Peters and Emma, Emma Forbes. Forbes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was on, on that program and it was one of their, sort of one of their staples and it, it never stopped um, from the time that they did it to then I think they progressed to other presenters. The entire run of that show, it was always on. It was it was that and X Men were on every week. I was going to say X Men. I remember being on Life and Kicking. Yeah, Rugrats was on first. I think it started at nine. That was on at nine ten, and then X Men was on like ten o'clock. Yeah, because I remember. I mean, Rugrats literally is a Saturday morning cartoon. Some of the ones we've yeah. been talking about, or at least it was in this country, um, for a lot of people, and that's where I first saw it as well. But I more remember Rugrats as being on Nickelodeon. Because yes. shortly after that, probably about 93, 94, Nickelodeon as a channel launched in the UK. Yeah. And along with it came Rugrats and Real Monsters and Doug and stuff yeah. like that. Well, so you say that, um, Rugrats was their second, was the second original Nicktoons right. show. Um, it, it, pre- it premiered on the same day as Doug, which was before it, and oh, Renaissance right. which was after it. So the three right. of them were brand new shows um, at the same time. They, they all launched on the same day. Um, so um, yeah, launched in 1991 uh, in the States, around 2004. That um, long? Wow. Yeah, they had a couple of gaps in the middle, 172 episodes across nine seasons. I had no idea um, there was that many. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, the way it was set up, for the first three seasons you had two stories within each episode, mm-hmm. and then um, from season four up to season eight you had um, three episodes, and then for the last season it was back down to two. Right. So um, the way they kind of structured, you had Effectively, the, the babies would overhear the parents talking about something, would misunderstand a word or a phrase, and then their imagination would fucking take them off on an adventure. Um, yeah, it was very Muppet Baby. It, it, it yeah. always reminded me of Muppet Babies. Yeah, that's which, very which came first, obviously. Yeah. But Muppet Babies was always about uh, they would go on an adventure based on something that was in the room. It was a film, room, it? Or, it was yeah. parody. It was always a parody, but it, the, the key to it was always they would see something in the nursery or somebody would say something to them and then yeah. they'd go off into like a Star Wars or an Indiana Jones parody yeah, or something like right. that. And Rugrats was, yeah, a very similar thing. The yeah. babies would misunderstand something that the adults would say. Yeah. And it would lead into a whole adventure. I mean, we they were just playing. Yeah. But it was it was depicted as being real. Yeah, and then you had the sort of the new one at the end where you know, they've learned something and they, you know, they, they that then informs their development and their growth yeah. and all the rest of it. So that was kind of the setup, and it was always um, they always stuck to it. They never sort of deviated from that. Um, just for going to um, first, you don't remember um, how how can you not remember first of all? But the um, the setup we had Tommy uh, Pickles was the main character, his best friend Chucky. Um, who was the, the scared ginger kid who you know, would jump his own shadow. Phil and Mill were the, um, the identical twins, and then you had Angelica, who was slightly older um, and was sort of set out as a bully um, yeah. character. Um, and she was she was kind of the antagonist everywhere. She would disparage them because they, they were stupid. They didn't understand what was going on. They stupid had, babies. They yeah. had a far better understanding of what was going on than she did. And she was only ever really challenged when you had um, Susie, who was the neighbour, when she was involved in episodes. Was that the little black girl? Yes. Because they added her later on, didn't they? Yeah, they added her, I think, in season three. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she was then the direct challenge to Angelica because she was the same age, but was a lot more... God, little black girl, what the fuck am I... Yeah, well... But that is the... Like... Oh, well, we'll come on to that now, because I've, I've made a point of that. It's one of the things that... Um, but that is the easiest way to describe that character. It is, and I'm, I'm, it's, it's a good thing and a bad thing. Not a good thing, but we're referring to her as a little black girl. But no, I feel horrible. <laughs> but it's a good thing because it's the only thing, it's the thing that makes her stand out because her character is so, is as rounded as all the others. 
It was quite a progressive show. And it actually. was. There's, there's um, an interesting article. It's on uh, Bustle.com. If you t- if you Google um, Rugrats gender roles, um, and there's a, I think the third or fourth thing that comes up on the Google search is why Rugrats is, um, was progressive, and it talks about uh, how it deals with race. The fact that there's no tokenism involved. There is uh, a black character. There's a European character who very quickly joins. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, very very quickly after the second movie, which we'll come on to later on. Um, she, she, she joins the group, she's um, Chucky's stepsister, and she's just accepted into the group, she's just another baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and for all the diverse characters you have, they're not that, it's not that diverse, all the main characters were so white, but for all the, the, the ethnically diverse characters you had, they weren't treated as ethnically diverse, they were treated as another person who comes into the group. And there was never any sort of tokenism, there was never, oh, why is that one slightly different colour to me? Or why does that one talk with an accent? Or why is this, that and the other? It was, that was never done, it was just, it was another baby to play with, another child to play with. Yeah, I mean, and not just uh, from a race point of view either. Um, by the time Rugrats was airing, I was about 12, I think, by the time we got into yeah. this country. So I was an, an older child. Um, still very much loving cartoons and animation, just because that even now as an adult, that is a, a part of yeah. of my life. I, I am into animation. If you hadn't guessed that, probably probably listening to the wrong show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I, I was very much watching Rugrats, but I was old enough to kind of grasp some of the concepts that are in yeah. there. There are some, uh, there are some adult themes in yeah. the show, treat, albeit all treated through the eyes of the babies. But yes. there are some adult themes in it. But um, I remember this, along with South Park, being probably one of the first exposures I had really to to the Jewish religion. Mm-hmm. And you know, the Pickles family are very clearly Jewish. Yeah, and. It, and they go to great lengths to explain what that is and I'm what it means. Be, I'm going to bake your sweet now. There are two special episodes which were done in 1995 and 1996 in the hiatus between season three and four. Two specials which were, uh, one was called, uh, so there, there were two Jewish episodes. There was, one was Rugrats Passover and wow. one was Rugrats Tranica. Um And the reason being they, had, they were on hiatus from producing the actual show um, for reasons I'll come to in a second. But they, they produced these two specials which were critically acclaimed. I think one of them won a daytime Emmy. Wow. I knew there was a Christmas episode. Yeah, I didn't realise there was actually a Hanukkah episode as well. Yeah, it's, it's the only, from what, I, what I've read, it's the only one that did a Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, and wow. something else. I can't remember what the fourth one was. But they did four holiday episodes um, talking about the different religions and different faiths and the different traditions. And nothing else has done that, or certainly nothing else has done that in a reverential way. You have things like South Park would have taken the piss out of all of them. Mm. Which, no, again, I'm a big fan of the South Park rule, you can take the piss out of everything, or you can take the piss out of nothing. Yeah. Um, and I, I appreciate that. But it's the first one that's actually dealt with them and gone, okay, well, rather than saying this one's right and this one's wrong, it's there are different faiths and different traditions, and this is how they... Yeah, and they, it's not a token thing. They aren't Jewish just to be Jewish. No. They explain what that means in the context of things. And, and also the the gender roles as well, certainly amongst the adults, like uh, you get Phil and Lil's mother yeah. is, is the, the handyman of the house. She does... Like, the, their father does very little. He's an, he's an office boy, I think, if I remember right. No, the, 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 you're on the right track. Um, all the parents are... Um, the gender roles are inverted. So, yeah. with, um, with Phil and Mel's mother, she's um, an athletics coach or she's something like that. Whereas the husband's a stay-at-home stay dad. He's a creative, artistic that's, type. That's right. Stu yeah. is an inventor. Tommy's dad's an inventor. He stays at home all day and makes shit that doesn't usually work. His wife is the breadwinner. She goes off and... I think she's a teacher. But she goes yeah. off and has the day job. Angelica's mother is... She's like a high-powered businesswoman. She's a CEO. Yeah. yeah. Um, she's, she's a very high-powered businesswoman. Um, Chucky's father... Chucky's uh, father... Chucky's his single dad. His single parent. Um, yeah. And 
talking about some of the sort of more adult themes they dealt with, um, in, there's an episode in season three or four called Mother's Day, um, and it's reflecting on um, all the sort of various things that the kids do with their mothers. And t- um, Chucky finds a box of things that belong to his mother because his mother died in childbirth. Mm. And it's the way that they explain death and what that means. Yeah. And again, it's a really fucking difficult topic for any show, but to deal with a show that's aimed at small children yeah. and explaining it in a way that makes sense to them that's not going to scare them, I think it's handled fantastically. This, this show, um, and, and we talk about this a, a lot with, with how we look back at some of these shows and realise how well they treat adult themes and narratives and things like that. But this show really manages to pull off a magic trick, I think, a lot better than, mm. than any of the others. It is very clearly a children's show yes. at a base level. It's about the babies, there are stupid gags in it, there, it, it works for children. Yeah. There is a whole other level which is mostly subtextual yeah. in this show that goes outside of the narrative with the adults that you only really kind of pick up on when you rewatch it now. Yeah. As a child, that will kind of wash over you. Yeah. It's kind of the Pixar effect. If you look, if yeah. you look at it in Pixar movies, there are jokes in there which are very much intended for, for adults because they, they know that parents will have to take their kids or their nieces and nephews or whatever to watch these films. And they're going to have to sit through the umpteen times on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever the mode of yeah. um, doing it. So you've got to make it appeal in such a way that adults will actually sit there and watch it. Because mm. if, if they don't, then when the next one comes out, the adults go, oh, fuck that, I'm not going to bother. And this was kind of a precursor to that. And you didn't really see a lot of research. You do now, but you didn't see a lot of it at the time on TV. No. Um, where there was a nod in the wind in pretty much everything. And we talked about it with Animaniacs. Um, and again, a lot of the stuff... Lot, a lot of that was aimed at older, an older audience anyway. Um, but there were very different, definite nods in, in the show where it's dealing with things that, you know, we, as adults, we trivialise, but to kids are big all and end all. Yeah. The fact that, you know, somebody picked up my, you know, my chair and I, I'd been sitting there four days ago, so it's still my chair. Yeah. Um, and how they deal with that sort of conflict and how they deal with this, the sort of the expression of emotions because you know, kids of that age can't moderate their emotions. It's, you know, it's the end of the world. It's tears and throwing things and, and breaking things and all the rest of it. And it, it deals with that in a very subtle way, but at the same time, you look at the, so, some of the things in there, some of the, some of the lines in there, um, especially from Angelica's mother, whose name I can't remember, um, and some of the, sort of the lines about um, how Angelica's been brought up, and she's been brought up to be a complete badass woman who will go on to run the mother's company or wherever mm-hmm. it may be. She will go on to be a powerful, independent woman. She won't, no, she won't need to be defined by marriage or anything else. Um, and it's... it's it's important for the kids because you get that message across early, and it, so you kind of embed that, which is very important. But also, you're out, you're actually saying to to the parents and the adults watching, this is kind of what we're stating. We're not saying this is a normal show. We're not saying this is everything. Everything's fine at the end. Everyone's happy at the end. This is okay. We will resolve everything, but there's a there's an ultimate goal and ultimate message we're trying to get out. Yeah, and I think I think that is where the this one sets itself apart from the others in that watching it for a child. All of the gags, there are no gags, I think, in Rugrats that are aimed at adults, or certainly very few. They don't, they don't take a kind of swipe at sort of middle American life in the same way that, say, The Simpsons does. Yeah. The adult shows, are, or the adult part of the show, rather, is actually drama. They, yeah. the, the adults don't joke around. It is, it is their lives. Yeah, it's, it is it's every day. The jokes are with the kids. Yeah. And the jokes are not particularly intelligent in, in the way that something like Animaniacs is. No, they're intelligent in a different way. They're, they're intelligent as much as they take on 
the form of a child misunderstanding. Yes. Or mis they'll, they'll say a word wrong, and then because of the, they pronounced it wrong, they'll have a different interpretation of it. Yeah, it's not to so say they, they aren't good, but yeah, they, are, they're, they're, they operate on a simpler level. Yeah, they're, they're, they're intelligent in a very different way, in not such a... They're not such a subliminal way. They're they're very much more obvious, very much more. It's, yeah, it's not, it's not a joke with a with a subtextual meaning. If you watch it as an adult, then yeah. like something like Animaniacs, it's the the adult stories are almost soap opera level drama. Yeah, um, and that really is an achievement to get to get a show that works as one thing for one audience and another yeah. for the is is amazing. Like Animaniacs is still Animaniacs whether you watch it as a child or an adult. It's just you understand it on a higher level. Yeah. Whereas Rugrats can be something completely different if you watch it now as an adult, yeah. like what you remember it being as a kid. Because as a kid, you were interested in Tommy dressing up as a cowboy and yeah, so using a candy cane as a gun and yeah. things like that. Whereas now, you'd be more interested in the absolute wreck that is Stu Pickle's life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's... Jesus, how Stu Pickles hasn't killed himself is... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, to be fair, how he hasn't accidentally killed himself with some of his inventions is beyond me, let alone the fact that he's a complete failure as an inventor and should have probably hanged himself by now. Yeah, I mean, but but that is how that side of it operates. It's all about... It is all about adult life, but it takes it very, very seriously. Yeah. You know, whereas I think the others don't. Um, so it's actually, it can be quite grim, I suppose, if you want it now as an adult. It can, and some of, some of it's quite dark. I mean, so the, the episode uh, Mother's Day where they're talking, where um, we find out about Chucky's mother and why she's not there, the fact that she's dead. Um, it's just, some of that's quite, no, some of that's, that's quite intense. Mm. And I said, from, from a child's perspective, it, it, no, it's a very sad episode, but there are other things in, going on as well, the, the things with the other characters. But for an adult, it sort of puts you in that position where you're thinking, fuck, I'd never want to have to have that conversation. Yeah. Or I, or if I had to, I wouldn't know how where to start or how to how to articulate particular things. No, but it, it deals with that very well. Yeah. The writing in the show is is really strong. Yes. And it does deal with those issues well. Um, even, I mean, from a production point of view, obviously the writing's strong. But even when you look at the animation as well, it's when you look at it, it looks like it's been cheaply animated. It hasn't. It, it just has its own very particular it's a, style. It's a very different style. If you look at um, the early Simpsons stuff, so the, when it first went to Fox after yeah, Tracy yeah. Ullman, it's got a very similar look to that. And the reason for that is... Um, wasn't it crossover with... Was it Supo? It was one of the creators, wasn't it? The crossover? Um, two of them. Um, All right. Arlene Klasky and Gabok Supo. Um, they were uh, the married couple who created this with Peter Germain. They worked on The Simpsons. Um, right. They were involved... In very, I think it's the first two seasons of The Simpsons, and then they kind of went off on their own to to, to do their own thing, which was Rugrats, um, and then to, they did Wild Thornberrys as well, which was slightly better yeah. animated. There was more money involved, um, but yeah, it's a very definite style. It's a style, a style of its time. Whereas The Simpsons quickly progressed and became slicker, and uh, mm -hmm. everything went after Rough Draft, and everything became a lot cleaner, and the animation became a lot better. Rugrats kind of kept this intensity up, and even to the point where they did the um, the spin-off movies um, up as far as two thousand three. It's, it always looked like Rugrats, it always looked the same yeah. all the way through. And that consistency sort of carries it a bit, because if you look at it, I mean, if, if I, when you look at new episodes of Simpsons now, they look far too clean. Mm -hmm. Almost to the point where you think, there's, there's bits which, which could even be seen, now, which could only almost be CG. Yeah. Um, Rugrats right up to that didn't do that. Yeah. It always looked as the, as the first season looked. And it's, it's the benefit of it being a cartoon, because... You cast you cast on age, or you cast age for your characters don't yeah. age. You can keep them as babies for the same age. Yeah. You can keep, you, know, you can you can reuse animation styles. You can reuse the set for the house and things like that. Mm -hmm. You haven't no. You don't need to change your style. Yeah. Whereas if you if you're constantly updating the way you look, um, like The Simpsons has, 
you're constantly having to rework things that you've done a million times before. Yeah. And I think that's sometimes detrimental because then people then start to think, well, hang on, that didn't look like that before. I don't engage with this now. Or this That colour's wrong. Or, it's it too clean. And, yeah. yeah. This is a prime example with Simpson. I think some of the furniture colour change and the wall colour and the house mm-hmm. change and stuff like that. And all of a sudden you're thinking, hang on, why is that not? This doesn't look that's the same. Not right. That's not right. That's, that's not Simpsons. That's not my Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Not what I'm expecting to see. Um, so, yeah, so you had that. Um, I think there's definitely um, there's an element of artistic choice there as yeah. well in that it is a very definite style. It is quite sketchy. Yes. Um, it's a little bit outlandish as well. You look at things like Dee's hair and stuff like that. It's quite cartoony and outlandish. Yeah. Um, but it's also, if it was too clean and and too colourful, mm. then, because a lot of it is quite pastely when you look at it. And if it was too the, clean... The home stuff too, is, yeah. yeah. The, the, the adventure stuff in their minds is all very... Which, is, which is separated yeah. out, which is fair enough. But yeah. certainly... For the, the gravitas that's needed in the adult scenes that we talked about, yeah. if you made that too bright and too colourful, you would lose some connection there. Yeah. I mean, if you especially look at the, the men, the adult men, they're all very pale and very grey, because of the, the skin very ashen, everything, no, everything about them is very drab. They look downtrodden, yeah. yeah. I mean, Stu looks like a wreck. Yeah. Um, he's, you know, he's got stubble that's like three, four days old constantly, he's got no colour, his hair's a mess, yeah. his shirt's always like, undone. Like even Drew, who I think is the I think it's the twins' father, he always oh, he he's always clean shaven, he's always very neat, he's always very tidy, but everything he wears is grey, also very dark mm-hmm. green or black. I mean, everything's very very grown up and very sensible and very downplayed. Yeah. And I guess I think that's a very def- a deliberate choice. Whereas you look at some Didi and uh, you look at any of the women they're very colourful. You know, Didi has the bright red hair, and yeah. Philomena's mo- uh, mother has purple hair, I think. Something like that, yeah. So it's sort of a, a, effectively a blue rinse type thing, but it comes out a bit purple. They're all very outlandish, very vivid, very striking, whereas the male characters are just complete you know, doorstops. Mm. They're literally there as bookends to, to, yeah. to get things through. Um, but yeah, it, a lot of that is you know, it's, it's chosen and it pays off all, all the way through. And if they deviated from that, I, would, I think that would cause quite a few problems in the way that we perceive the characters. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so um, talking about sort of the way the Simpsons crossed over, um, a lot of the voice cast um, were involved as well. Um, Nancy Cartwright um, did Chucky. She wasn't the original one. I think the original was Chris Yeah, that was much later on though, wasn't it? It wasn't much later as on. I, I thought it was like really later on in the run. Because as I remember it, she wasn't Chucky's. No, voice. she wasn't the original one. She, that was, it was Christine Carpenter, um, And then she replaced her, I think, for season three. It might have been after her ages, maybe for season four onwards. Right. Um, but she certainly did most of them. Um, but again, Trask McNeil pops up. Um, lots of the sort of the the cast of The Simpsons pop up in sort of support, no, sort of the pop up cameo or supporting roles throughout the mm-hmm. show as well. Um, and it's that's it. It's it's quite interesting that they the voices no they they because their voices are so distinct and so well known. You can kind of pick them out, and yeah, you get it now with um. There's a couple of shows on um. Milkshake, the Channel Five Kids program it's called Milkshake. Milkshake yeah. Um, and there are a couple of shows on there which are all made by the same people who did Peppa Pig, and the vo- you you hear the same cast, same voice, yeah. And they're playing very similar roles that they play in the other shows. So they've kind of just gone out. Oh, well, we've just got different no, different voice and different words in, but it's the same character. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't get that. It was just these distinctive voices, but you know, you never had um, uh, you never had Hank Azaria playing these of these these caricatures yeah. that you have in The Simpsons. Um, so it's quite interesting to see the way they picked that out. The, the the way they played it, sort of, even though it's such a silly, no, it's such a silly subject, and it's, it's sort of predicated on baby talk and things like that. They everything is played absolutely straight off the bat. There's, oh yeah. There's no pissing about. There's no. There's none of this. Oh well, it's not. It's only a cartoon. It's not. It, it takes itself so seriously. 
Yeah, it really, really does. And I think it, it gets away with that because of some of the themes it addresses. Yeah, like I said, from, from the adult side of things, it, it doesn't shy away from themes like, you know, things like death and mm. things like the, the endless dredge and monotony of adult life and the, yeah. and the weight of the world being on your shoulders. It doesn't shy away from that. But then equally, when we're in the baby's world and it's the stuff for the kids then, they go on these adventures, but they treat them with absolute gravitas. Oh, yeah. Like when there's... I, one of the ones I remember quite fondly is there's an episode where there's a, there's a bully and Tommy has to stand up to her and they go on this kind of Wild West yeah. tangent. But they treat that with absolute... Like, that is Tommy growing as a hero. Yeah. And they, they treat that absolutely with the gravitas that it deserves. He has to stand up to this mean kid. Mm. Never really stands up to Angelica, but that's because she's part of this circle as much. She's a bully. She's one of them. Yeah, she's the bully, but she's also his cousin. Uh, yeah, yeah. She's, she, so she's part of the group. Therefore, Angelica is mean, but they can't get rid. They'll never get rid of her because she's always not. She's, she's always one of them. Around. She's essentially, one of them. yeah. And the, as the group expands, and so Susie comes into it, and Susie kind of always one ups Angelica. So if Angelica is being a prick, then she, Susie will get will get her back on behalf of the babies, or she'll help yeah. the babies get her own back. And when uh, what was her name? Kimmy, um, the the, fr- the the French stepsister of Chappie, when she comes into it again, she, she has she plays a role within that with that within that group. So she's automatically part. She becomes part of it. She's not an outsider. Yeah. So also she's involved in the stories and she plays an integral part. And let's say that the way that's sort of set up is I said every every one of those characters has a journey. Everyone that grows. And by the end of the episode, it's back on business as usual. The next one stands alone. Again. Yeah, yeah. But there's always that element of growth in it. There's always something that. As kids do, they learn something new every day. They pick up something different they didn't know yesterday. Or they, they learn to do something they couldn't do yesterday. Yeah. And it's it's kind of it kind of mirrors that. Yeah. And I think to the point where you get to the spin-off show, um, All Grown Up, which was set ten years later, um, you still have that, but it's different challenges. So whereas you know, one would be you know, in in um, in Rugrats, you had why not why they're all wearing nappies. So you no, know, there's a thing where Tommy doesn't wear wear a nappy and he's walking around naked all the time. Yeah. Um, so the, no, those are challenges the kid that toddlers face. Whereas the time you get to with these kids would be ten, eleven. There are things about sort of moving up a grade in school and yeah. different things that they haven't had to do before. And the theme kind of continued. It was just different challenges, and the way that was presented, it, it ran the risk of being particularly corny and cheesy because it ran the risk of recreating Rugrats mm-hmm. just with an older cast and rehashing the same sort of issues. But they actually did it quite well. It, 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 I can't remember how many episodes of that were, but it, it had a, a decent run. Because people responded to it in the same way they had the Rugrats, and I thought, oh, that's because of the way it was handled. Yeah, I mean, I've I've never seen that. I was aware of its existence, but I've never actually dipped in and watched that. Um, so I can't do much comment there. The only thing that interests me with that show is if we're going ten years forward, uh, and it, this adds nothing to any kind of intelligent conversation whatsoever. We very rarely do. No, but if we're going ten years forward, like the big thing with Rugrats that I remember, like, if you say Rugrats to me, aside from obviously Tommy Trick, the first thing I remember is Reptar. Yeah. So does Reptar have a presence in that as well? I what don't happens know. to Reptar in 10 years? I mean, you'd, you'd, you'd imagine, I mean, again, I've, I've only seen, they did a special um, called Old Road Up, mm-hmm. um, which was, it was done for the 10th anniversary, um, released in 2001, um, and they kind of used it as a pilot, I don't think they were expecting to, I think they would yeah. sort of think, they thought, oh, we might get us, i get away with it, but it's, it's a standalone thing, and if it goes anywhere, it goes anywhere. Um, don't remember appearing in that, but you'd imagine that. No, I mean, if you think of the way the, ki- the, the kids are, there will be there will be a different fascination. There will be a different thing. So well, that's Re- why so I'm asking. So Reptile would have been replaced with I don't know Pac Man or yeah, whatever. that 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 
that's why I'm asking you because Reptor is such a big part of that show. Yeah. But I don't know. It's whether I'm just interested in whether they've taken that with them through their life in the same way that we're now sat here talking about Rugrats and last time we were talking about Thundercats and it's like yeah. those things have never left us and it's whether as characters Reptar has never left them or whether it was just that cheesy show that they used to watch. Yeah and, and I don't know it would be interesting to see and it's it's always quite funny because you look at at that sort of age as well being sort of you know, 10, 11, 12 years old kids were at that point where the, the things they had as children that the toys they had as children a, a lot of them were sort of shy away up to all for that now to grow up yeah, yeah. and then it's only as they get older they start sort of feeling back tired, they go back and especially things like those stuffed toys they had as babies and things they've always had their whole mm-hmm. life they'll sort of, they might be chucked up on a shelf for a couple of years and then as soon as they think oh fuck I'm going off to college I'm moving out and all the rest of it it's the first thing they put in the bag yeah, because it's a comfort. It's a sentimental value. Yeah, I mean, Angelica had uh, was it Cynthia was the doll. Yeah, the doll with no hair. With no or, hair. Yeah, like, well, it had trap. it had Dee Dee's hair. Yes, it did, but there were big gaps in there. Yeah, well, so is Dee Dee's. If you think about it, it goes up and then out. Yeah, Dee Dee's is kind of social bob, isn't that? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, but the the Cynthia doll had sort of strands in there, yeah. so there would be a bald patch with a couple of strands coming out of it, yeah. and the way it was shaped. So yeah, but I mean, she had that. So you you'd wonder if that made the transition as well. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. One thing I, I, I did wonder actually when I was re, um, doing my research on this uh, yesterday, what happened to the dog? What happened to Spike? Because Spike was fucking depressed. Spike, during yeah, the, he was uh, old. He was old yeah. during the shows. I mean, I, did he survive the 10 years? Because that's like 70 years for a dog. Yeah. I mean, Spike was actually, from what I remember, he was a big part of the show. I mean, the kids would ride him. Yeah, he, he, he was a big part. He was part of their gang. He was their conveyance. He was also, if they, you know, if they were doing some sort of... You know, Detective thing. He was their bloodhound. No, he was. He was. He always took a part in the fantasies. He was. A, yeah. A character in the baby's world as yeah. such. Um. I mean, the other thing, of course, by the time all grown up rolls around, is what's happened to Grandpa? Or is he still with us? Well, yeah. I mean, I. I'm not sure. I mean, I know he was at the. Um. He was in the end when um, Rugrats finished in 2004. He was in the, the last episode because he's remarried. Um. Debbie Reynolds played his second wife for a couple of years. Right. Um, so he was there until the end, but whether he popped up and all up, I don't know. I mean, my my relationship with Rugrats, as I say, I, I, I came to it as an older child anyway. Um, I think by the time the initial seasons had dropped off, which I was surprised when you said how many episodes there are, because by the time it's on Nickelodeon as a channel here in the UK, yeah. It's syndicated essentially. There are there are plenty of episodes, yeah. and I'm watching the same ones over and over over yeah. because it's on every day. Well, that's what and those happens. later ones I I never really saw. That's what happens. Um, they they commissioned sixty five episodes. They made the first three seasons, and then they stop they stop production. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did the two specials in ninety five and ninety six, and then in ninety seven, or in late ninety six, um, Nickelodeon kind of said, "Well, look, we're syndicated. It should be showing it every day." And it's doing really well. It's doing really good numbers. We're getting really good feedback out of it. Let's have some more. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of went, okay, well, we'll do a couple more. And so they did another season and another season. And they just kept on rolling. And I don't think they expected to have um, to have the success they had and to, to, to go on to the extra episodes. Because, I mean, you're talking an extra seven years worth of, of episodes, you know, 100, 105 episodes at that point, um, beyond what they'd already, 107 beyond what they'd already done. Mm-hmm. And I think... In that interim, they'd done the specials, but they also looked at, um, they did the first film in 97, um, another one in 2000, and another one in 2000. There were quite a few films. There were three films. Um, mm. The first one was um, the Rugrats movie. It was just an extended episode, basically, where it introduced um, Dill, the little brother. Right, yeah, I remember this, yeah. So, um, I remember seeing that movie and fucking hating it, because it was just a, it was a big musical, mm-hmm. um, which I'm not a huge fan of musicals, as you know. 
um, but it, it was just kind of a very childish musical, which didn't really engage enough with that world for me. Um, the second one was Rugrats in Paris, which was 2000. Um, don't remember seeing it. I just remember seeing posters yeah. everywhere for it. Yeah, I think the big selling point of the... the uh, poster was the Eiffel Tower with the kids in a reptile mobile. Yeah. And I, I saw the poster everywhere yeah. for it. And I don't, I don't remember uh, much about it. So the selling point was the Eiffel Tower on the poster. Yeah. Um, and then that introduced... Um, Chucky's father got remarried and introduced Kimmy. Um, and she had a dog as well, which became a, a partner for Spike in all the, uh, in all the adventures that went yeah. forward from that. And then in 2003, they did um, a, spin, a spin-off crossover film with Dwarf Hornbreeds, uh, which was Rugrats Go Wild. Right. And I'm fairly sure Bruce Willis did run the voice on that. That was kind of their main selling point. I can't remember which voice he did. It might have been Spike. But he was he, 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 was, he was the name on it. That, yeah. was, no, that was the thing they tried to hang it on, I think, uh, for a memory. So they did the three films, and they had a couple of specials as well. So you had the, the two um, Jewish episodes um, during, the, during the hiatus. And then they did... Um, uh, Babies in Toyland, um, which was the Christmas one, the Christmas, made every yeah. year. and that actually that aired long after Rugrats finished. That aired um, every year on Nickelodeon from two thousand seven to two thousand twelve. That's the last time it was shown. So that they kept on rolling yeah. that one out, um, and then after that you had the spin-offs. You had All Grown Up, um, which lasted a couple of seasons, and you had another one, which in this country I think it was called Rugrats Tales from the Crib, um, but in I love a good pun. Yeah. Um, I think in, in America it's called Preschool Days, um, okay. D-A-Z-E rather than uh, Days. That's not as good as Tales from no, the Crib. No, it's terrible. Um, that only lasted four episodes. That's a shame because that's a hell of a title. Yeah, they, I think they probably spent more time on the, uh, the title they did the episodes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it, it spawned a lot of rework, it spawned a lot of, uh, a lot of jobs and a lot of, uh, a lot of episodes. So I had no idea there were almost 200 of them. No, me and neither. And that they spanned 13 years. And it's, it's, it's interesting really cause I, because I watched it on Nickelodeon. I very much associate Rugrats with Nickelodeon. Yeah. Oh, it, it was a very, it was a Nick tune. It, it was, was a Nick tune. Yeah, yeah, very... definitely. But I don't think most people do, and I think to a certain extent, especially in this country, in the UK, I don't think Nick Tunes is a brand in the no. same way it would be in the states. So it's something I'm aware of, and I, I love them. Nickelodeon was my favorite channel when it launched over here. Um, but I think outside of SpongeBob it's got to be probably the most enduring and the most well-known. Well, you've said that. Um, it, was the, it was the longest, it's the eighth longest, or at the time, it was the eighth longest running animated series in American television. So when it, when it dropped off I didn't realise that. It was that. When it dropped off there, it, it tied with King of the Hill as the eighth longest run wow. with the most episodes. It was the longest running Nickelodeon show until 2013 or 2012 when Spongebob did the 173rd episode. I was going to say, surely Spongebob must be the... Spongebob yeah. has topped it now, but it was, for a long time, it was their longest-running show. Wow. Um, and so Spongebob took, took it in, whatever, I didn't write that down, but it was, I say, it, it had a huge longevity, which I didn't realise. Um, and I don't think that translated over, translated over here the way it did in America. No, I think I think certainly those those other Nicktoons, um, outside of people like us, most people have probably forgotten they existed. I mean... Our Real Monsters, for instance, is, is lost in the annals of history. I yeah. loved it, and I still fondly remember it now, and who knows, we may even come to it on this show. Oh. I suspect we will, because oh. I, I remember that very fondly. Um, Doug, I guess, got slightly more of a lifeline because it transitioned over to Disney. Yeah. Uh, I might go for a while, but again, I, I don't know how many people would remember Doug outside of... Yeah, that's it. It was one of those... I, I remember it coming around, and I remember seeing it, and I, I have seen it since. 
Mm-hmm. But at the time, it wasn't something that's as far my interest. No. I mean, again, I, I very fondly remember Doug. Uh, and then, of course, I mean, there is Ren and Stimpy, but I almost feel like Ren and Stimpy has become oh, so such a thing of its own yeah. right that it, I, I don't consider it as part of that Nicktoons. No, and sort of trans- transcended that. It became it its has, own thing. Yeah, and especially because, again, in this career, it wasn't aired on Nickelodeon. It was aired on BBC Two in prime time. It was aired at yeah. 6.30 at night. Yeah. And, and we, it was treated as, a like The Simpsons, as an adult show. Yeah, it was a very bold choice um, to, from BBC, which is not something they're usually accused of. I think for any network station, just showing Ren and Stimpy is a very bold choice, particularly back in those days. Yeah, I mean, it's the sort of thing, certainly at the time, you'd expect on Channel 4. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because, um, I mean, for those listening, not in the UK, um, BBC One and BBC, BBC One was kind of your mainstream channel where with a little bit of everything, it caters for everybody, but nobody's going to be offended. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. BBC not. Two is your stuff that's a little bit edgier. You can't show it on BBC One and Sport. Yeah, and then ITV, which was the first commercial channel, um, which again they bought what they could get, but it was the it was a safe channel. It was the alternative to BBC One, and it was kind of seen as the main rival. And then Channel Four kind of went well. Not everybody likes saccharine sweet, um, everyday things. They might want to see something a bit different. And Channel Four has got a reputation in this country for um, for actually being quite groundbreaking, showing some very edgy stuff that people don't want to show. Um, and a lot of not they do a lot of documentaries which a lot of channels wouldn't touch with a barge mm-hmm. with the advent of digital TV and um, the coming of another 200 channels with this fuck all on um, that's that's a reputation that dies out because there's a oh, there is a channel and a home for everything there's, there's an outlet for yeah, everything I'm, I'm pretty sure if you took a, a spin around your average sky or, or cable box in America yeah. then you would find Renners to be showing somewhere yeah uh, it, it can you can find a home for that now without it offending too many people yeah um but at the time you yeah when, when you just have the the core four channels that are in everybody's home that was a big risk because that show is something else yeah as we said but anyway we're, we're digressing so yeah. uh yeah my original point was like maybe you could put that on the same level as rugrats and as spongebob but it kind of transcends the nicktoon brand whereas the yeah. other two are nicktoon so and I mean, to be able to stand side by side with Spongebob, whether you like Spongebob or mm. not, that's lofty company. I mean, Spongebob is a cultural phenomenon now, yeah. to the level of a Simpsons or a South Park. Yeah. So to be able to stand shoulder to shoulder with Spongebob is a huge achievement. Yeah, I'd say so. And the fact that it's it came before and Spongebob had to yeah. come and surpass it, um, I think it's before. But the fact that they had, they had um, Nickelodeon had such faith in Classic Yourself, which actually keep producing these shows and to let them run out nine seasons mm. is absolutely incredible. And the, the fact they recognised there was a, an appetite for it um, when yeah. they had that hiatus, because um, going back to some of the history of the show, is it was produced, um, they produced, they, they commissioned the 65 episodes of three seasons, and then they went, yep, yeah, we're done, we've got enough, we can just run that in perpetuity. And it was only, and it did moderately well. Um, critically, it did well. It won uh, ninety three, won two daytime Emmys and a Cable Ace Award, whatever that is. Um, and then it carried on winning Emmys and things like that mm-hmm. as it went through. So it was critically well acclaimed, but the numbers were brilliant because at uh, the time it was on and it was some, it was a baby show. It was about babies, so it was obviously for babies. That's how viewers would have perceived it. And it's only as it went on in syndication, the numbers started to grow steadily, and people went, "Hang on, we we can make no, we can get more of it. We can get more out of this." And that's when they went back to um, Classic Yourself, who had already moved on to Wild Thornberrys, um, and said, right, we could do a couple more of these, what have you got? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and that's, that's kind of where it went. Um, some of the production was a bit troubled, 
um, oh, okay. issues with the writing. I hadn't realised this. Before. From from uh, inception to delivery, it was three months per episode. So it's a big turnaround. Yeah. Uh, especially for 172 episodes. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, had different animation teams on different. Uh, by the time they started breaking the stories and things, obviously they, they yeah changed that. Um, but the writing was a big problem um, because the creators were a married couple and their friend, mm-hmm. um, and then you had a team of writers underneath it. They were. Um, uh, Arlene Klasky was the head writer, and then you had the team of writers under her. And her husband was always the mediator, so when there were there were issues, he was smacked in the middle. Unexpectedly, he would usually side with the writers rather than her, um, just because generally a, a pool of writers will have a better logic than a single person with an idea. Yeah, and it's it, it's a thing of seeing it with fresh eyes and coming at it from a different perspective. Um, but that led to some issues and some tensions with the with the production and the way things were put together. And right up until the hiatus, there was there were always apparently this undercurrent when they were in staff meetings and things like that, where things were going to go and who was going to get fired and who was going to be, uh, whose story wow. wasn't going to get. Through. Apparently, it was an absolute button fight. By the time they came back from the hiatus, that was resolved. They'd had two years off. They'd done these specials and they kind of gone, look, fuck it, we're here because we want to be here. If you don't want to be here, fuck off, and let's let's get the show put out. Um, but yeah, so it was quite an interesting, um, quite an interesting bit of reading in the way that yeah. they looked at them. That's the way it was put together. Um, the thing that threw me was a three months per episode when you're talking hundreds of episodes. Yeah, well, I, I suppose part of that, you know, if if you're in a writer's room and there are multiple... The way TV shows are written always interests me. When you get these writer's rooms and stuff and everybody's going to have a voice and everybody's going to want to take things in a certain direction, okay? And that's naturally going to lead to conflict. Mm. Now, I think part of the problem there, when you're on a three-month turnaround and you've got 180 episodes to write, is you are just constantly going to be steamrolling forward. You, yeah. To the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. So probably nobody had had chance to really sit back and take stock of what they were creating and what they were writing. So then you go into this hiatus and you come back after having written three seasons. And I think if you probably step outside and look at it, you now know who your characters are. You've yeah. spent three years with them. These characters are their own thing and they will guide the story they will yeah. speak to the writers so it might, coming back it was probably easier for them as writers to yeah. go well no Tommy wouldn't do that yeah. or Angelica wouldn't do that whereas perhaps before they were having to argue about it because they were still finding these characters and they locked in this constant forward motion yeah. with no chance to, to understand what these characters are and, and what they do yeah. and it's interesting you said that because um, as We've alluded to, or I've said in previous episodes, Chris doesn't do a great deal of research for this. He goes on memory, mm-hmm. where I go onto the web and find out what other people have written in the past. I was my own ideas. Um, but the character of Angelica um, wasn't in the pilot. Um, All right, okay. So, and, the re- and when the character was first pitched and first ended up in the show, um, Alec Dasky didn't like the character because she felt that the character was a bully, it was unnecessary. Um, right. And the character, I can't remember if it was. Um, uh, Jermaine or Xabo, who's who wanted the character and, and developed that character based on a, a childhood bully of their own who was also a girl who beaten the crap out of them and then taking their toys and all the rest of it. Uh, and that was a, a big source of conflict was that she, because Arlene Glassie didn't like the character, she didn't like a lot of the choices that were made about the character, a lot of the actions the character, the character undertook. Okay. Things like there was a, a family barbecue and she you know, she took the ball off the babies and chucked it over the fence into next door so they couldn't play. Mm-hmm. It was a very spiteful, very tough show and she didn't like that. Um, and she went on record as saying many times she didn't like the character of Angelica, she couldn't identify the character of Angelica. By the time they came back after the hiatus, she was very much on board and a fan of the character. And again, I think a lot of that would have been taking the time to step away, seeing what that character added to the show. Not what it added to 
their original vision, yeah. but what it added to the product they were putting out. That is really interesting because uh, if you'd asked me about the characters, I would say Angelica, after Tommy, I, I mean, everybody likes Chucky because he's the one most people remember and empathise yeah. with, but Angelica is key because she is the one constant antagonist in the show. You mm. need her narratively. Yeah. She has to be there. She's... The, yeah, she's, she's essential. She is the show's antagonist. Yeah. I, yeah. And not only that, she's the one you remember because everybody loves a villain and especially a charismatic one. And she was such a bitch and yeah. such a bully and so wrapped up in her own her own sort of view of the world and yeah. what everything meant to her. And you do kind of see that. I, I mean, mean, she's... Sorry. Um, going back to the, um, the Muppet Babies thing, she is Miss Piggy. Yeah. Like, that is who she is. Everything is about her. Yeah, that's right. And I think it's... No, when this was on, obviously being a lot younger than I am now, wouldn't have really um, related it. But having spent the last couple of years with small children and sort of seeing children mm. around and seeing some children with older siblings and how the older siblings act, they're very much I've been there, I've done it, I know what I'm talking about, so shut up and listen to me. Um, yeah. You can you do kind of see that that character and where that comes from. It's, yeah. it's a very broad caricature of, of older siblings, but it's kind of there. It's sort of stupid baby saying, "I know better," and it's yeah. it's. As I said, it's pretty much central. It's it's hard to imagine Rugrats without that character. But I mean, her and Chucky weren't in the pilot. Um, the pilot was um, a six and a half minute um, sort of mini episode within, sort of as they did within the episodes, called Tommy Pickles on the Big White Thing, and it was to do with a dog ball, um, a dog's um, yeah. water dish. Um, but it was Tommy fell in love, and then that that pilot was never aired. Um, I don't know if it ever got released in any sort of format. It's some, why you talk about the internet, but I don't think anybody's ever actually seen it. It's probably on YouTube. Probably. Somebody's yeah. probably nicked it by then. Um, but yeah, so in that episode, they weren't there. Those two characters, probably the two most memorable characters, yeah. weren't there. And they were added for TV. That is interesting. I mean, from, from a one-off standpoint, if you're doing a pilot or something like that, then you're only telling one story, so you can have... The antagonist can be whatever. Yeah. But... Moving forward, any show, even if it's to u- utilise broader terminology of TV, then even if we're doing a Monster of the Week show or something yeah. like that, whilst there might be a different villain every episode, there has to be a key antagonist. There yeah. has to be in order to move yeah, the story forward. Yeah, and Angelica is that. And, and it's interesting, um, as you know, when we, if you've listened to the show before, when we sign off, I generally use a catchphrase from the shows to sign it off. And we've been trying to think what Rugrats' catchphrase was. And there isn't one. No. But there is, and it is stupid babies. Yeah. We're not going to use that because it doesn't fit as a sign-off. But if there is a catchphrase out of Rugrats, if you were to ask me yeah. to to repeat to you a line from Rugrats and put me on the spot, yeah. I would go to stupid babies. Yeah, that's and I mean, I I went, um, Nancy Carter, I did her one-on-one show um, about mm-hmm. Bart Simpson a long time ago now. Um, but I saw her up in Edinburgh and she did, and she was talking about the Simpsons, but she was also talking about other characters that she'd done. And... For legal reasons, she wasn't allowed to play those characters on stage. She went out to see her, um, sense, yeah. so she went behind the screen, and she was doing various voices. And she did a lot of things, a lot of things from The Simpsons. And I didn't do it. Eat my shorts, all yeah. that sort of stuff. And the only thing she could come up with for Chucky that was constant was "Gee, Tommy." And when he always started off with "I don't know about this," I'm not sure. Yeah. That was the thing he always, and it was the only thing she could actually come up with because there wasn't any repeat, you know, any repetition, there wasn't any constant catchphrase that they could use. So she could talk about reptiles, she could go launch into a, a situation that was going on, but there wasn't a set thing that Chucky always said. No. And, and that actually, again, is credit to the writing on the show. Yeah. Um, as we said, a lot of these stories are actually quite complex. 
and it didn't lend itself, I guess, to that kind of easy throwaway catchphrase yeah. gag. You know, it, it wasn't there for them to constantly rely on because these characters were constantly evolving and growing. Yeah. And so they didn't repeat the same thing with the exception of a slightly more cartoonish character like Angelica, who is a bully that yeah. we can all relate to and all know. We've all met an Angelica at some point yeah. in our lives, but we've not necessarily met a Tommy or a Chucky because they're real three... Well, they're not real, they're made up, but you yeah. know what I'm saying? They're three-dimensional they're characters. characters. Yeah. Um, and so the catchphrase does naturally come from Angelica, stupid babies. Yeah. So, yeah, this is quite an interesting one. And as I say, it's... To think that she almost wasn't there... Yeah. As, as I, I just don't think the show would work. No, I can't imagine how the show would have progressed. And it would have, because they, they obviously had a plan. Yeah. Um, there was also... I mean, there would have been... With that pilot, there would have been... An, uh, there would have been a Bible or an, an outline saying, this is what we're going to do, this is where we're going to go, this is how we're going to get there which would have been presented to Nickelodeon and say, look, this is what we want to do. And then it would have gone into development and say, well, what about this, what about that? And that's where the characters of Angelica and Chucky would have come from. But they wouldn't have gone into that meeting without an idea of how to get a season out of it, or at least to get a season out of it, yeah. if not more. Wow. Yeah, that, it just would have been so... But, um, but yeah, after the hiatus, when they came back, um, Klasky was very much more enamoured with Angelica than she was before. Good, for everybody's sake, to be honest. Yeah, I think so. Um, we talked earlier on, and we sort of mentioned it with the parents, but the um, how progressive it was in terms of its portrayal of gender and sort mm -hmm. of what was acceptable. Socially, in the early 90s, we were nowhere near where we are now in terms of acceptance of um, gender, of um, kind of gender issues and, and sort of sexuality. Rugrats kind of, it pushed a few boundaries with that, pushed a few envelopes, and... There's an episode where um, Chucky asks the question why Lil is allowed to wear a skirt or trousers, but he's not allowed to wear a skirt, he's only, he can only wear trousers. And so Phil and Lil go on this quest to the playground in skirts. And wow. it's one of these, and it, but it's never handled in, it's not handled in a mocking tone, it's, they're not, the point of the episode, and this, so the, there's a quote about it on that um, article saying on Bustle that, it's not done in a way that ridicules them or ridicules their choice or their decision making. It 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 pokes fun at the people who poke fun at them, yeah. and it's it's treated in a way that's um, it's only seen as wrong because people because people have decided it's wrong. There's nothing actually wrong with it, and the characters aren't judged for it. They, it's the supporting characters who judge who are judged them. Yeah, yeah, they're the ones who have been who have been poked fun at effectively. So that was quite interesting. And then I so say you talk about um, let me talk about the issues with the parents and how that was portrayed. Mm -hmm. But there was always this um, this massive this massive thing of acceptance. And the whole thing was there was nothing in there that said homosexuality is wrong or cross dressing or anything. E everything's acceptable because if if it's what floats your boat, it's what you want to do. Go for it. Be yourself. Be who you are. And that's um, it. Will come. It'll come right or it won't. And no, that's yeah. that's how humanity evolves. That's how personalities evolve. And whether think of whether. Chucky wearing a skirt would no, would carry on, and he or he would do it once and never do it again. That was up to him. But it made it made it a very it was a very solid statement that said it is up to you. You know, it's down to you. You're the individual. You, you you choose. You decide. A lot of shows, certainly kids shows at this time, were towing a very tight party line that was you don't talk about sex, you don't talk about gender, you don't talk about anything that people can get up in arms about, and possibly because the Simpsons had started sort of poking uh, poking holes in things. The show came along not long after, but they went ah fuck that. I think, and I think because they were babies and you could yeah, you could get away. If you had a ten year old doing it, there's, it was there's different. Yeah. Yes, but yeah, because, absolutely. But because they were babies and there's that sort of white-eyed innocence about them, 
it's, as, as a framing device, using the babies and their understanding of the world allows you to explore that yes. without carrying baggage. If Chucky had been 10 years old and wanted to wear a skirt, then we would have had issues with the other 10-year-olds around him yes. already having had that upbringing and had it drummed into them by society that, yeah. that men don't wear skirts. Yeah. And so that is a whole different level, whereas the babies have not been poisoned by society at yes. all. They are innocent and they are finding their way. They are completely innocent. Mm. So if Chucky wants to wear a skirt, he can wear a skirt. He's still finding out who he is yeah. and what it means to be Chucky. And if what it means to be Chucky is that actually he likes to cross-dress, then so we it. can explore that. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's, that's still fine when he's 10 years old for Chucky, yeah. but it's not fine for society as a whole. Whereas yeah. as the babies, they won't bat an eyelid. That's it. And I mean, from, from an audience perspective, as children watching that, it's a bit funny because you've got a boy wearing a skirt, but then when you actually go into it, well, why is it funny he's wearing a skirt? Yeah. And if you, ask that, ask, if you were to ask your average four-year-old why it's funny that a boy's wearing a skirt, well, boys don't wear skirts. Why don't they? They just don't. Yeah, and there's no reason for it. It's that black and white. Yeah, thing. it's they've been they've been conditioned that girls wear skirts and boys wear trousers, and that's fine. No, that's the way it's it's kind of gone. But to, for an adult watching it, they say, "Well, hang on, why are we telling our kids we can't? Yeah, that they can't. Our children should be allowed to wear skirts yeah. if they want if, to. Yeah, if, if that's how they want, if that's an expression they want to make, or that's a, that's a choice they want, that's, that's down to them. Mm-hmm. And it, it sort of pushes viewers at the, at the different levels we talked about earlier. It pushes them to explore what. What you're, what we're actually telling children, and what, what, is what, our we're, what we're setting as yeah. normal, and it's it's a, I say for a show that's now twenty five years old, wow, yeah, well, nearly yeah, well, twenty five years old anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So a show that's twenty five years old, where t- there are boundaries that are still a lot of a lot of shows, especially shows aimed at kids, they're afraid to to go anywhere near these boundaries. They don't cross them. Yeah, and I think again that is credit to the writing team, credit to the. To the creators for the initial framing device that allows the writers to explore that and using the babies and the adults and the uh, and the kind of confusion that exists between those two worlds and the different the different languages they speak because baby talk is treated in such a way that the adults don't understand what the hell the babies are doing when yeah. they're having their adventures the adults look at them and they're just crawling around on the floor but they I don't know crawling around in a jungle or whatever yeah. it is that's yeah. always coming through a tunnel or whatever yeah, yeah. And, and so allowing the babies to explore the world free of the confines of society almost yeah. does exactly the same thing to the writers and it just goes, look, throw the rule book out the window, you can explore whatever you want to explore. Yeah. These characters are blank slates really because they're growing and that's that must be very creatively freeing. I think so and I think that it's a very good thing for, you know, so credit to the, the team who put it together, credit to the writers, but also credit to Nickelodeon for actually having the courage to let them go through with that mm-hmm. because a lot of networks, I know Nickelodeon were bit more outlandish than a lot of the conservative networks anyway. But a lot of networks would have bought at that. A lot of people, hang on. Yeah, yeah. We, you can't do this. You can talk about death, you can talk about breastfeeding, because there's a, a joke about breastfeeding, and, mm-hmm. and then you can talk about things like that. You can't talk about gender, you can't talk about homosexuality, or cross-dressing, or anything that's going to get, the, it's gonna get the, the conservative audience up in arms. Yeah. Because, I mean, certainly... Um, when this came about, it would have been um, pre-Clinton, so you're talking a, Repu- a Republican, um, Republican president, Republican Senate. Don't upset the fucking government. Don't upset the censors, who are going to be the ones who say we can't can't get on air. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, let's say you came later on, and we, you know, when like, we talked about Animaniacs, and you know, they, they constantly poked fun at Clinton. Mm. But it was a 
a very different America and a very different society at that point, even though you're only talking a couple of years difference, there was a lot more acceptance of things and they started pushing on things, started pushing through agenda, started pushing through that hadn't been possible with the previous, two, um, previous governments. So, I mean, it's always, it's always interesting to look back and say, well, what, had that show come five years earlier, had it come at the start of, well, at, the start, at the end of Carter, the start of Bush, would that show have even gone on the air? Yeah. Would it have made it through, yeah. So it's, it's a very difficult one. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's very, it's, I say it's widely praised so for a lot of the way it dealt with the issues. The highest price I can actually find for it online, in my personal opinion, is that Steven Spielberg was producing Tiny Toons and Animaniacs at the time, and he actually referred it as the, the peanuts of our generation. Wow. That no, from That's actually very, I can see that. That yeah. is very, very apt, because peanuts in the same way used children to explore adult themes. Yes. Um, and took itself very seriously, and particularly took things like depression and mental illness very seriously. And yeah, this does do exactly that. I can I can really see the comparison, and coming from, coming from Spielberg. Spielberg. Especially, not just Spielberg being Spielberg, but Spielberg being the Spielberg who was producing Kids TV at the time. At the time, yeah, yeah. Having gone off and done everything he'd done by that point. So it's, 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 it's high praise. Um, and like I said, Beyond that, then, it's, crit it's critically acclaimed. It won a handful of daytime Emmys, um, various other awards as well, um, throughout the 90s. Uh, so not just the early 90s, but it's its first run. Um, and I didn't know this until I was reading about it yesterday. It actually, Rugrats actually have their own um, star on the Hall of Fame, on the Walk of Fame. Rugrats is a collective? Rugr wow. um, so whereas everything else is of individuals and actors, yeah. Rugrats and personalities, Rugrats has a star on the Hall of Fame. I did not. I, I, I can see why. Yeah, so can I. I can imagine The Simpsons probably do as well. It's, it's weird. I think because Rugrats is, is almost, well, no, not almost, it is willfully drab in a lot of ways because of the, the adult environment and the themes that it deals with. It's not necessarily a barrel of laps all the time. And so I don't think it's something that, like uh, Animaniacs, for instance, when we say Animaniacs, we can go straight away to, need to click my fingers, we can go straight away to Hello Nurse and... And, and all of that. When we yeah. The Simpsons, we can go straight away to Doe and don't have a cow man. And yeah. as we said, there's no there's no catchphrase for Rugrats, so you don't necessarily think of it being caught on in cultural terms in yeah. the same way that they have. But I guess because because it was so well written and because it connected with so many of us for various different reasons, it's probably endured just as strongly as those shows. And I'd never really realised that it it had endured to yeah. the strength that it would get a star on the Hollywood. Yeah, I, I had neither. Like that. So, so that, yeah, that's that was that, that was is high praise as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, the, the Walk of Fame process isn't overly onerous. Um, apparently, you yeah. basically nominate yourself, pay twenty grand, and then the, and the they committee. On. Yeah, well, yeah. they consider it. If, if there's this lot there's a committee to consider it, but unless you put the money up, they don't do it anyway. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, that's the the fact that it does. You know, it does still resonate with people in that way that mm. people well, it was just it was deemed worthy of. I can't remember when it was done. But the fact it was deemed worthy of that in the same you know, in the same breath, and then you've got. Clint Eastwood and, and Steven Spielberg and all these are pioneers of different types of TV and, and uh, cinema that Rugrats is on there. Yeah. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah, and I think, I think that's key to me, you know, as every, every episode when we talk about these shows, you know, we always kind of look at whether, when they endure, whether it's worth going back and looking at them again and what you're going to get out of it. Yeah. And I think going back to Rugrats, what you're not going to get the instant gratification that you get going back on some of the other shows we've looked at, like a, like a Thundercats or an Animaniacs, where you're 
it's instantly going to grab you and absorb you and just give you that good time nostalgia. Yeah. But what you are going to take from it is intelligent, well-written drama, <laughs> which yes. you don't get from those shows. No, that's right. So I think it, it definitely works on a completely different level. Yeah, I think so. Um, so I'll, I'll move on slightly. Um, so we talked about some of the spin-offs. You had the, the, two, the, the two additional shows, the one that did quite well and the one that not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, three films. They actually did a set of live shows as well. Which right. I'm trying just trying to remember how that worked. Um, but they were, for, it was a for, it was a forty minute, effectively a forty minute episode, an interval, and then another forty minute episode. Um, but they were, I'm assuming it was sort of done the same way the Family Guy shows were done. It was sort of up on screen, you had the voice actors, the, stage, and, yeah. and the orchestra, and everything else. But again, very well received. Um, they did a series of those um, in the early two thousands. Um, again, I think it used to coincide with the tenth anniversary. Um, and again, huge appetite for it. Very well received, but sell out shows. So people are still going. Rugrats, I want to see that. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, seeing any cartoon done live, mm-hmm. it's got a particular appeal. I think there's, there's yeah. always going to be that sort of sense of uh, novelty to it, effectively. And I know yeah. when um, when Family Guy did it, they really released a recording album and all the rest mm-hmm. of it. They did a couple of shows in Vegas. Um, but they, the way Family Guy did it, they built the, sh- the show was then was the, the cast of Family Guy doing a show in Vegas. So it was a show about a show and yeah. they could get away with it that way. Whereas this were, these were actually Rugrats stories Presented on screen, but with the voice actors underneath, I'm assuming, and with the orchestra and all the rest yeah. of it. Um, but again, huge appetite for that. For that, I wish they'd done more, because again, they, you know, they do these in Vegas, they do them on Broadway, and then they never go anywhere else. They don't talk, yeah. Um, so we never get to see them. Um, in terms of other spin-offs, um, there was a comic book, which ran from 98 to 2003. I remember the comic book. Um, yeah. Were, didn't buy it, but I remember no, it, didn't it buy, existed. I, same here. Um, yeah. There were, I can't think there were 30 issues um, done. Uh, there were 19 different computer games. I remember some of those as well. Uh, not a single one is any good. I, I can tell you I, that. I remember, at least the ones I've played. I remember them existing. I don't remember ever playing them. But again, I think it's very much that like we talked about with Animaniacs. There were certain spin-offs which could have been anything else. They just had their name on the packaging. Yeah. I think a lot of these were... These Rugrats ones were the same. Isn't it? Rugrats pinball, so they're on the board and you never... There was, them, a number, yeah, there was a number of horrendous early... 3D platform games which just had really bad polygon renderings of Tommy in them. Yeah, yeah, they're horrible. I I don't remember ever playing any of them. Um, I I I remember a racing game as well, but I can't remember much about it. But I know there was one. There was like a kart racer as well. Yeah, I suppose yeah, because Mario Kart would have been huge, and who else would be sticking cars? Yeah, Um, because I think everybody did that at some point. Yeah. Um, So yes, other merchandise they had their own cereal, uh, maybe Kellogg's. Okay. Uh, which I mean, I know Kellogg's have gone back to doing it now. There's uh, the Disney princesses and uh, yeah, and Star Wars and, and yeah, Mario. So, and, yeah, yeah. yeah, so I mean, Kellogg's have always done that. So Rugrats mm-hmm. had their own cereal. Um, there were the toothpaste. There were various toys. I remember the toothpaste, and I remember toothbrushes as well. I think that wasn't it. Wasn't it? Wasn't it reptile toothpaste? It was. was and I remember, ironically, there was reptile toothpaste, and I also specifically remember there were reptile bars as well. Yes, I remember reptile bars. So <laughs> you had the sweets and the toothpaste. Yeah. So. Yeah, and both were like fucking acid. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, then there were toys, there were clothes. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there were all sorts of, there was all sorts of merchandise. Spawned a massive industry, yeah. um, as these things tend to do. Um, there was talk of a revival uh, in 2012. Um, Ali Klasky was asked on a red carpet event for something else. Would they ever go back to do it? And it was, oh, if the opportunity ever came up. And that developed over the course of a couple of years. Uh, and then in 2016, um, the head of Nickelodeon said, they were looking at 
a host of Nickelodeon shows that they could possibly mm -hmm. go back to, not just Rugrats. Mm -hmm. And nothing's been said since, so it may be that something comes out, maybe nothing ever does. Um, so yes, I mean that's um, it's kind of, it's kind of a big it's it's kind of a big show, and it's it's one that at the time it's a lot symbolised. You you never sort of realise yeah. what you get. You know, it's, it's that sort of thing that you don't know what you got till it's gone, sort of thing. But it was a remarkable show, and it was remarkable in the fact that it wasn't remarkable at all. It was a very ordinary show. That is the perfect way to encapsulate it. Yeah. Um, it was yeah, it was a very ordinary show that you could watch and you could forget about, and you know, you things would pop up, but you never know. You didn't have to absolutely. You didn't soak it up yeah. in the way you would a Simpsons and all things it with didn't the catchphrases. Feel special. No, it was. Well, we've talked about some of these shows before where we're aware that they're on and we've sort of seen them and we've got we've found them again later on in life yeah. and we've gone back to them. This one I always remember. I remember it very fondly from a Saturday morning because it was on before X Men. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, I, and that's kind of how I got into it. Was it was I'd so I'd see the second half of an episode, so the second story of an episode yeah. before X Men came on, and then it was hang on, well, it starts at ten past nine, so I'll watch that before X Men, mm -hmm. and to tune in that much early to see the whole show. But then you go away from it thinking, right, X Men's on now. You wouldn't be going away from thinking, fucking hell, that was good. Yeah. But you keep on going back to it every week because it was enjoyable. Yeah. And for me, the I mean, being that much older as well when the film came out, the film kind of ruined it because I wasn't expecting a baby musical. Where they were singing songs about Reptile and doing the fucking yeah. Woodshopter song, which I still get stuck in my head every now and again, um, and that kind of ended it for me because it was at that point it was right. Okay, well, as as an entity, I now do not identify with any of these characters. I don't feel the need to watch it anymore. Yeah, and it's only now going back and seeing parts of it again. I think, oh yeah, I wouldn't actually mind watching some of that, except I'm not going to sit down and watch 172 episodes because I have the time. Um, but. It's sort of thing, if I saw it on now, I'd say, oh, well, I'll leave that on because that's going to be quite entertaining. I'd be, you read it in a different way, but it's still going to be entertaining. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, and I think that's how I would view it as well. Um, as we said, it's, it's clearly very well made, it's clearly very well written. At the time, I wouldn't say it was one of my favourite cartoons, but it was one, of the, one that I enjoyed, and yeah. one that, yes, I knew it was on at this time, and so I would tune in and watch Rugrats, because generally it would be the start of a block. Yeah. Um, I think... Unlike some of the other shows that we've talked about and welcome to talk about, I'm never likely to go and buy a Rugrats box set and sit down and watch it. In all honesty, it's not a good time and it's not a laugh riot. Hmm. It is very good though. Yeah. And I wouldn't, if it was on now, I would watch it now. Yeah. Would I go out of my way for it? Probably not. And that's not to slight the show. It's just that I don't think it's something I'm looking for no, at the moment. That's, that's a fair point, and I think position the position where I where I am now personally, where my daughter's a little bit older. She's now she's she's four now, so she's beyond where these characters. She's sort of probably a little bit older than where Angelica's supposed to be, and okay. she's sort of finding her feet a bit more. Had it now, had we been talking about this a couple of years ago, and had I seen it, but I probably would have watched it because there were way, there would be some there were some quite interesting insights into the way that very small children identify things and the way they interpret things mm -hmm. and to be able to translate that and sort of see where that or how that fits there that would be quite useful but again same as yourself I wouldn't go out and buy it I wouldn't go and look for it no I mean the, the box sets are available um, the DVDs were released um, as um, as individual seasons not as one as, as a set uh, released on DVD in 2014 so quite okay. quite late quite on show, yeah. um, but quite late on for mm -hmm. a lot of them I mean look at some of the other shows we've yeah, true. talked about from the same time they were released in early days yeah, early, yeah. early 2000 yeah. mid 2000s now we're talking about mid you know, mid 10s uh, mid teens mm. that 
this show that's 20 years old at that point is now coming out on DVD. Mm. Um, and possibly where there isn't really a, a desire for it. It would be relying on people like people of our age buying it for our kids to watch. Yeah, I think, I think it'll always be very fondly remembered. I certainly wouldn't have anything negative to say about the show. Mm. I just don't... Like, like I, I've compared it a few times to Muppet Babies. Yes. Now, if Muppet Babies was... If you put two DVDs in front of me now, one was Muppet Babies and one was Rugrats, I'm going for Muppet Babies. Oh, yeah, every time. It's a better time. It's, yeah. I can put it on... And it's and Muppets. Instantly get a colourful cartoon hit. It, it's the Muppet, so it's still... It's still intelligent, it's still irreverent, and it's still funny. And yeah. Rugrats is those things but not in the same way but in a much more muted way yes yeah, it's, yeah. it's a lot more subtle yes definitely and so if it was airing on tv now i would watch it mm. definitely if it was to be uh if they did a new show i would be interested and i would watch it would i go back to it after i've watched it that first time no so yeah that, that's kind of how i feel about it i would for people who haven't seen it for the first time, I would recommend they look at it. Is it something that's worth revisiting? Personally, for me, no, I don't think so. But I will always fondly remember it. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. And the shows we've talked about before and the ones we'll come on to um, in the coming months, I'd say that's probably right, is that it's it's a very good show, but I'm not going to miss it if I don't see it again. Yes. And I think that's probably the, the way to look at it. Yeah. So yeah, that's Rugrats in a fairly long nutshell. Um, as always, if you want to talk to us, get in touch, go to our website, ddpodcast.net, or find us at the Double Down Podcast Network on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, until then, I'm heading home to have myself a juice, snuggle with my blankie, and go nap nap. Stupid babies. Do, do.